All right. Well, we are back on the Zoomcast. This is Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawerter. And today uh, we got two of my good friends. We got Michelle Meyer and Megan Bergdorf of Beach Volleyball Consulting. How's it going, ladies? Good. We're happy to be on. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. It, uh, Michelle, I'm, I'm just so excited. We've kind of come full circle. We've made the gap from meeting at snow volleyball in Austria and Italy to uh, now we're getting on the podcast. And it's where all great relationships are formed on snow volley. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Good time in, uh, in Italy last year, for sure. Yeah. Um, so can you guys just give our listeners sort of an introduction of what uh, beach volleyball consulting is sort of how it was founded a little bit of backstory um i wouldn't want to kind of just take just take your mission statement from the website kind of want you guys to uh, to give the listeners a little bit of background um what it is what its mission statement is and and where we're going with it yeah i'll kick off michelle and then i'll kick it over to you um michelle and i met at usa volleyball running their beach high for high performance program um so that was in 2015 and we did a lot of work and initiatives um, under that auspice, but there were some things that were left undone that we were so excited about that either we didn't have time to do or the remit. Um, so uh, when they relocated the offices to Colorado, uh, I decided to stay here in lovely Hermosa Beach and uh, Michelle and I got back together um, and decided to open up Beach Volleyball Consulting, um, which supports our athletes, coaches and organizers. Um, it's a super exciting new kind of endeavor. Um, we really liked um, being neutral in the sport and being able to help everybody. And so that was something that we wanted to bring forward in, in our new company. Yeah. And it's, uh, you, you guys do so many different things. And you mentioned that uh, when you were at USA and it moved to Colorado, there were a couple of things that um, you know, were left undone that you guys kind of wanted to see finished or, or kind of at least developed or grown. What were some of those things that you saw that uh, were a little bit shortchanged or, or that you wanted to grow and develop at USA that you're sort of completing um, at Beach Volleyball Consulting? Yeah, Michelle, you want to go or you want me to kick off? Yeah, I mean, I guess one of the, one of the things that we wanted to tackle um, we all know that there's been a ton of growth and development around the sport of beach volleyball over the past decade because of the addition of uh, beach volleyball as a collegiate sport. Um, and one of the avenues that we wanted to get after this year, which unfortunately ended up being canceled due to COVID, but we wanted to offer a, a you know an international camping clinic for those European recruits that potentially might want to come over and compete um, in uh, in NCAA. Um, that was one of them. I don't know, Megan. Yeah, I think that was really exciting. And it looks like we have a lot of things going on because we've had a pivot with COVID times, I guess, um, to make things um, more timely with the recruiting schedules changing in college programs um, and also partnering with the ABCA. So in December, we were at the ABCA Coaches Convention um, which was awesome. And they finally tapped the topic of men's collegiate beach because women's has been so successful, um, both domestically and now we're seeing how that impact um, transfers to the international game. And so we partnered with ABCA in February to drive the strategy to grow men's collegiate beach volleyball. So that's something exciting. Um, awesome. Very, very different. And we're, we're happy to hear what you guys have to think about it too. I uh, I think that's awesome. I mean, obviously, 
it'd be really cool. Uh, I feel like, like it would it would just make the sport in general grow twice as fast if we could have men's in there as well. But I didn't even think it was an option. Like I was like maybe one day, but like twenty years, like long after I'm gone. But the fact that there's conversations being had right now is really exciting. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, your impact report was awesome, by the way, and, and kudos to you guys for doing that. Because, like, as, as from a beach volleyball nerd to another, like that's the kind of stuff <laughs> that I like love to read. And we've seen the impact that the college game has had uh, on the women's yeah. side. Um, it's it's insane, and we'll get into that in a little bit. What I'm wondering for the men's side is, do you think that it's realistic mm-hmm. that men's college beach will be a thing? really? Because I know it's difficult for men's sports to be added with Title IX, and especially it's difficult for any sports to be added with, you know, especially with COVID right now, with the football season being, you know, kind of in question with how much revenue they'll bring in. So what I'm wondering is if, you know, what would men's beach look like? Would it be past the club level, NCAA level? Yeah. Well, right now there's activity happening on all levels. And I think that's the awesome thing that there's passionate coaches, there's players that want to get involved. What's missing is that formal umbrella. Um, and USA stepped in to, to kindly fill that with the collegiate beach championships, but that happened in May that was postponed and canceled, um, unfortunately this year. So that was the one opportunity that depend independent of being a GC uh, NAIA, Division One, Two, II, or Three, any male collegiate athlete could participate in. So we're really hopeful that USA and their Collegiate Beach National Team umbrella will help bridge that gap um, for a more formal collegiate program, likely with the NAIA, um, to start up um, going forward. So trying to build consolidating efforts uh, in the next year or two, hopefully, I mean, Women's Beach, Michelle, how long did it take to formalize in college? About 10 years? Um, from to become NCAA um, sport, I think it was four years officially in 2016. I think was the first championship, so five years. Yeah, yeah, so five years. So hopefully we can expedite the learnings that they've had. It's going to be a challenge, though. You're dead right about Title IX, um, and I think we have a silver lining around emor- emerging sports for men. Um, with the pandemic and growing enrollment. So a lot of universities right now are struggling to have more male um, students coming. So that's a good way if there's a a new sport that encourages more male athletes to join their programs. I'm wondering, what's what's the last men's sport colleges have have added? I can't... uh... Rifle, I think, in like 1990 (laughs) (laughs) or something crazy. What was it, Michelle? We Googled it. It was crazy. Yeah. Jeez, I'll have rifle. They have added. Alex, I was not expecting that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think the idea. It's been a really long time. I mean, volleyball was around and then they added, you know, the indoor and and men's and, and stuff like that. But the last true addition, I think, was definitely way back. Yeah. Probably before. Half of you were born. <laughs> I think I think the idea and the, the plan for uh, men's collegiate beach volleyball, like right now, as Megan said, we have some JCs that are doing it. We have some NAIA programs. And just to put some structure around it and, and start somewhere and build kind of that hype and that idea that like this is coming and you're showing value to the NCAA that people want this, that boys want to play this. And hopefully if it can start there on like a couple year long, I don't know, three years of that, and then have those kids who have been competing in college, you know, men's beach, 
come out and, and start competing on the domestic tour for the ADP and we can create hopefully in five years, another impact report that shows that kind of progress. And then like in time, be able to present something to the NCAA that shows the value of it. And that this is, this is something that, you know, can drive growth in the university, you know, like Megan said, but um, also has an advantages coming out for those kids. So. Are there? Go ahead, try. I was just going to say women's beach is, is the, it was the fastest growing sport in the history of the NCAA, right? Yeah. So there's got to be some interest there from the NCAA and, and wondering at least like how the men's would, would work maybe to that same extent. Obviously women's volleyball is played more broadly and it's the biggest uh, sport in the U S for women, I believe. Right. Yeah. So there's that, but I mean, there's gotta be some interest there. I would think. And they haven't added a sport in 30 years? <laughs> Come on. It, it's actually even hard to find information online about how to have an emerging sport. They have it for women very well documented, but not for men. So it's it's quite interesting. Um, yeah, another, another um, kind of advantage or, or potential for men's beach is that the, the cost is so minimal. Like, especially for campuses that have already built courts on campus, they have the balls and the equipment. Um, I think that there's some blockers in terms of if indoor players can cross over to play beach for the NCAA. Um, I'm not sure if we found that exact ruling, Megan, but that's kind of what we've been hearing. Um, so like the, the barriers to entry in terms of cost are pretty low uh, for the sport compared to adding something like, I don't know, basketball, where you need to add a gym potentially if you don't already have it on campus or whatnot. So that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I'm- I remember looking through uh, LSU's um, breakdown of mm-hmm. sports finances and like the LSU beach program costs like $700,000 to run where mm-hmm. like basketball programs were well into the millions. I was like, mm-hmm. well, I mean, 700,000 is not a small amount of money, but I guess relatively speaking on a scale, it was mm-hmm. like the cheapest program they had. Yeah. Yeah. And this um, upcoming season to be defined or determined uh, NAIA is meant to have 25 women's programs. So, I mean, there's, there's already 25 courts or facilities that are are being used already. So if we can maybe even find programs like Weber um, down in Florida that already has a women's program and they're looking to start a men's program. um, Hopefully that will grow. Uh, We're looking at kind of a a cluster or hubs across the country too, which is super exciting. So we have some started on the East Coast, um, some started on the West Coast. Arizona is trying to explore the area too. So I think the the biggest thing that we found, we have an awesome steering committee um, ranging from the EVP, P1440, all the way down to our coaches and players um, advocating um, and what's fascinating with the coaches that are already um, working together is that they didn't realize there's a network of, of support that's out there. And if we can have that one point of truth where people are coming together and understand that there's events for collegiate men, um, even if it's just a pair from a university, um, a lot are being very creative in ways that are maybe not as traditional on the women's side, um, but they're making it happen, which is exciting. I would have wanted to signed up if I had any opportunity to play any beach in college uh for sure I think they have scholarships now too and a travel budget for men's beach at these schools it's incredible really so they have like so what uh what schools and I well a couple questions like what schools do have them right now 
you said yeah. there might be like 20, 25. Were you looking at 25? Um, There's 25 women's NAIA programs for beach this upcoming season. Right now we have Stevenson, Liberty, Irvine, Westcliff, and there's one more uh, for men's. Is that Stevenson in in Maryland? Yes, it is. Nice. That's right down the road from where I grew up. (laughs) And St. Catharines. Sorry, St. Catharines is the last one. So okay. these universities or, or schools have already started. Um, some have already been intermixing and almost all were coming to the collegiate beach championships that USAB hosted in May. Nice. Um, so it's starting. There's a number of JCs that are happening um, already started in California and around the country too. And why, um, why is the NAI level the, the, I guess the best starting grounds for it do that is it sort of like a, a proof of concept thing for the ncaa to say okay like this is possible then it can kind of trickle up sort of i think it's um more less restrictions okay more openness um and flexibility of terms um and rules okay i don't know michelle am i missing anything that jumps out to you yeah i mean i think it's just that there's a lot of blockers in the NCAA, like all the, the rules and restrictions and in terms yeah. of adding programming, um, it is way, way difficult. That's why there hasn't been a men's sport added in 30 years um, in NCAA. So NAIA has a little bit less and it's, um, it almost goes, I feel like instead of a blanket, maybe statement from NAIA, it kind of goes like program to program um, and what sports they want to add. Um, I don't know. That's just been what seems to be the, the easier route to start with. Yeah. Um, it's super cool though. What, um, mm-hmm. where did you, what's the starting point research wise to, <laughs> to find this? Cause you guys have tackled so many subjects at, at such an in-depth level too. Yeah. Um, what's the starting point for looking up men's collegiate beach? Cause I feel like that's just the, the forgotten about <laughs> stepchild. Yeah, I think, I mean, what we really started looking at was um, when we were building out this impact report and looking at the influence of, NCAA that um, on for the women on our domestic and international tours, um, putting that together back in November and putting it out in December and all the feedback we got from everyone, like, holy moly, look at like the, the differences are astounding. I don't know if you guys had much time to, to look through it and mm-hmm. kind of from thir- 2013 to 2019 and the comparison of the men and women domestically in terms of, you know, age and finishes and then also looking at our international tour, um, and then uh, ABCA's executive director, Kathy DeVore, reached out to us and had this project and said, hey, do you guys want to want to take this on? So, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of a twofold thinking, like what can happen now to generate momentum and keep that going? Because you have to connect the boys to the college level, to the men's game. And then you also have to look at a more formalized structure of, of lobbying to actually make it a sport. So kind of with the steering committee that we're working with is how can we make something happen? And we had a pretty good idea for 2020 until, you know, the coronavirus happened. So we've had to pivot a little bit and seeing what we can, we're on hold really to see what we can salvage for the fall. Um, We have a few kind of ideas or events on the back burner that we'd like to have um, happen. Um, One being there's a a collegiate women's event scheduled um, in the beginning of November if that can happen, seeing if we can piggyback that with a men's opportunity, which also then shows to our community, they happen side by side, 
just like the collegiate beach championships, everyone's like, Oh, I didn't know we had men's collegiate <laughs> beach. It's on this, you know, TV. And it's like, no, we don't, but we, you know, we do. Um, and, and to really gain exposure and really help that USAV collegiate beach national team and their pipeline, um, initially while we can get that leverage on the, on the ground for the collegiate side. The men's collegiate beach championship is so funny to me because I, um, I'm pretty good friends with John justice and Adam Wienkowski, uh, at Florida state and they, they, neither of them play indoor. So they're just like two guys from Florida state are just like, yep, let's just uh, sign up and play. And we're representing Florida state, even though they don't actually compete in anything else for Florida state. It's, uh, it's, they just get their one event. Yeah. Yeah. uh, I'm hoping to see, to see that we can get more. What, what I'm wondering is, uh, because I feel like soccer has a similar problem. Not that like it's an NCAA sport and everything, but our soccer is obviously lagging with the rest of the world. Um, and then you look at what Norway is doing with top volley and their, that Academy, I feel like that would be such a cool route to go down. If someone could just like make a similar concept happen in the U S but there's just so many rules and restrictions for that. Yeah. I actually got to go out to top volley, um, oh, six nice. years ago when I was coaching at UH cause, um, uh, the, the moles kind of run that or started that facility, I think. And, uh, Hendrick played at UH. So I went out there and checked it out and it was amazing to look at this. I mean, it's indoor and beach volleyball, but they have an outdoor beach volleyball facility, an indoor beach volleyball facility, heated sand. Um, Kari, the dad has his like net system that runs across the whole length of, uh, the gym for like the littles that come out and play. It's just a really really cool spot um that's awesome what was like the, what did the school look like because it's an it's an educational thing too right or, <laughs> we didn't spend too much time at the school but uh <laughs> it was about it was little because i think from my understanding of it the kids who are 13 years old about in eighth grade um if they want to be volleyball players in norway like top volleyball players they try out to go to the top volley school um, and they select 10 to 15 boys and 10 to 15 girls per class. And it's a three-year program. So the school is only about uh, 60 to 90 kids okay. um, overall. And so they've got their dorm rooms there and they've got a cafeteria here and they've got like two classrooms and then everything else. It's like a track and a gym and a <laughs> volleyball courts. I mean, it sounds like it. And it's in the middle of sand Norway, which is convenient, but um <laughs> walking distance probably like 20 minutes to the nearest little town like they're pretty secluded up there on this little hill but it's beautiful my kind wow. of spot yeah <laughs> explains a lot like the fact that they're training i mean i'm just i'm i'm picturing the next uh mole boy coming up like probably in the next few years here <laughs> he's gonna be a trouble to deal with and they've just got like, a little uh girl too hopefully she'll come up and really? play <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. I remember Anders talking about his little brother and he's like, he's going to be better than I was, than I am. I'm like, oh, no shit. Yeah. yeah. Great. I, I played Anders when he was like 18 and I was like, Oh, this is easy in a grand slam. And then they beat us. It's like, Who the hell is this kid? <laughs> uh, great. I, I hope I don't, uh, I'm not like one of the first teams to draw his little brother. <laughs> <laughs> So it's it's up to you, ladies, to find the the Anders Moles and Christian Sorums of uh, of USA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been hunting. What did you say, Troy? 
I said, you got to call me when you, when you find yeah. out. <laughs> give you a shoot him a text. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's hard. I think what, like you go back to Adam and um, Clay and John Justice on Florida and, and really um, going through USA, representing USA at the collegiate, um, the world uh, university championships and the U19, it paved a pathway that other boys kind of believed that there was something for them. And I think that's the biggest challenge is showing somebody there's a pathway and there's progression and why they can commit and that there is um, an opportunity at the end of that. And I think that's where USA serves a, a really um, big role. And I think where these universities eventually can step into too. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever it is you happen to be listening to Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarder, we hope you are keeping you uh, slightly entertained during these strange quarantine times during the coronavirus, but we just wanted to uh, put out a message that we hope that you are staying sane, staying fit, staying healthy, and uh, staying safe here over these next couple months. Hopefully that the coronavirus passes soon enough. We're all back to our normal lives, but here is just a, a get well message from Sandcast and now we move on to our sponsors who keep the show moving on. And uh, we love Wilson. Wilson makes the best ball in the game. They came out with this new, brand new, really cool looking ball, the Optics, which has spin detection technology so we can all pass that jump serve, which Lord knows I needed. And to get discounted rates on the balls, which we will all need as we're going to enter uh, preseason again here whenever this lockdown ends. So we all need brand new preseason balls to get us ready for the 2020 beach volleyball season. The discount code is Wilson sand for discount on all equipment at wilson volleyball which makes the best balls in the game a big big thanks to our next sponsor pacific coast wealth management who's a big supporter of the laguna beach open and just the beach volleyball community in general they help athletes know where to put their prize money from either retirement to 401ks to iras and if you're not a beach volleyball player they can help you with college savings they can help you with all the money management you need they have incredible tools and resources at their website pacificoswealthmanagement.com so hit them up today and learn how to best use your money over the course of the season because once there's a place that they know like michelle and i found at usav when we were there once the boys realize there's other ballers there at that training or that camp more are coming because it's like, oh, this isn't just playing with the girls. This is actually about the boys. And I, I get to play against some men and they get to improve their skills. And, and boys were starting to peak a little bit later um, than the girls. They, the girls were peaking across the country around U15. Boys were U17 into U19, you know, and they were figuring themselves out. So I think there's definitely a lot of opportunity. Um, I think finding something that connects and unites the efforts of all these little pockets across the country is going to be key. And it's unfortunate BVCA just announced that they're canceling their club tournament this summer. Um, you know, those are type of activities that would really help connect the glue from the boys then up to the collegiate age. We're just, uh, we're getting one more year to brainstorm and, and to yeah, think tank it. That's exactly. all. <laughs> Be pause and come back bigger, better, better, stronger. Exactly. Uh, what were you going to say, Michelle, before I interrupted you? Um, uh, I was just going to say that it's, um, it, I think it all feeds back into unless we have that carrot of NCAA beach for boys and scholarships or even NAIA, something that offers a scholarship and education. Like I think try is the prime example of an athlete that grew up playing on the beach um, at Outrigger. And then, you know, if, if 
beach was an option in college, you probably would have done that, but you have to play indoor. And then after that, you want to go make money playing professionally. And then you come to the beach at 25. I don't know what age you went full-time beach, but it's something that's like, you miss those kind of seven years of development on the beach because you have to, because you, you're not going to just start shelling out money as an 18 year old paying for your education. If you can get it paid for, even though there's limited scholarship on the indoor side, at least there's something for, for the boys to go and, and play. So yeah, no, I mean, I didn't even get scholarship indoors. So any any opportunity I would have taken uh, for sure to go play beach. Obviously, you want to go to a, if I get the offer to, to go play indoor at USC and go to school there versus like nothing and go to, into a smaller school, that would have been something I had to weigh. But I mean, I, I for sure would have been one of those kids who would have benefited a lot from having that extra four, five, six years playing uh, like getting coached. I, I don't think I got coached until I was like 22 years old. I never had, never even heard a little bit of advice on the beach. It was just all playing with my <laughs> friends. Mm-hmm. Um, Good thing you had talented friends to play with uh, growing up, huh? Yeah. Not a bad group. <laughs> I, I happened to grow up in like the little hot spot of the world of beach volleyball besides San Norway. <laughs> but no, I for sure would have taken advantage of and. I'd be stoked if other kids had the opportunity to do that. And I think they would. I think there's a lot of players whose games are, I mean, we all know indoor is a special sport where you specialize. You're supposed to specialize in one skill, but those guys who are good at all the skills and not necessarily great at one or the other could be a great beach player. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot of players. So, I mean, I I can't imagine uh, there not being a, a good amount of, really talented players coming out at a young age. And then by the time gets to the pro tour, it's like us, us older guys are in trouble, which is what we want. We want to be pushed and we want, we want it to be really, really hard to get into main draws. And then that's, what's going to bring the fans and the competition. And I mean, the sport will blow up from there. Yeah. That's our hope too. <laughs> I'm on board. It's funny to see just the, um, the narrative of what constitutes young for men in the United yeah. States as compared to the world. Cause I'm, I'm working on a, a story on Taylor crab right now for the FIVB. And you know, the way that I talk, I look at Taylor, I'm like, Oh, he's like one of the youngest defenders in, you know, best up and coming defenders in the country, but he's five years older than Christian Sorum. <laughs> and yeah. it's just funny how like, you know, Taylor's probably got another 12 years of really good volleyball in him. Um, but, and like really start like the up and coming, he's at, at 27 and that's like standard in the U S whereas, you know, you look at Brazil, you know, George Wanderley was out there and he was like 18 or 19 and, you know, Andre Loyola and, you know, you got Christian and, and Anders. And it's just funny to see that the U S just starts too late because we don't really have that developmental system. I'm wondering how much do you think it would, it would help. And really if it would be of a huge benefit because even though the u.s players peak later and traditionally we always have we've still managed to be pretty good because i mean Mm -hmm. phil dollhauser is still you know a top two three blocker in the world and he's almost 40 i don't think i would have like because i remember in high school i played in a tournament actually maybe i was going into college i played in hawaii again kevin wong played and he like thought I did really good played. It was a KOB and we met in the finals and gave him a run for his money. And then he invited me out to play in like a exhibition, like a professional exhibition. 
uh, because Matt Olson wasn't um, available or whatever. And then last minute, Matty O was available, so I didn't get to go play. But, but I mean, I think I could have played at that age and, and for sure gotten on tour a lot earlier. So I think, I mean, it's really a result of the system that makes Americans peak later. Yeah. Um, I also like to your other point of uh, the world seeing a 27 year old as an old veteran. Yeah. Um, I had a sponsorship. Uh, I was talking with Red Bull about sponsorship and Phil Dahlhauser um, kind of recommended me and like put in a good word for me. And I thought I had everything in and then they went to corporate in Austria, the head Red Bull area and, and they shut it down. The U.S. Red Bull wanted to sign me, but Austria shut it down because they said I was too old. <laughs> like, I'm the youngest guy out here. I know, you're I'm a little like, pop. I'm the young guy. What are you talking Like, I lost the Red Bull sponsorship because I'm too old? And because all I've been hearing is that I'm the young guy. And I felt like I was the youngest guy on the world tour for the Americans. And But that was at, like, what, 27 years old, I think, yeah. around there. Um which is crazy. And now I'm 30 and I'm like, I'm over the hill. <laughs> not, not really. Like I still feel really young for the U S John Hyden's still playing. He's 17 years old. <laughs> He's keeping us all young, but it, it is amazing how like the perspective is so different from, from the other side of the world. Yeah. Especially if you give these young guys, the experiential learning window of, you know, 18 to 22, 23, where they're not just learning the skills, they're learning the strategy and the volleyball IQ and what that would do to expedite their game, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Even the travel and like the, you know, how to be a professional athlete. I mean, we, our NCAA system kind of holds the hands of so many young kids from 18 to 21 just saying, okay, here's your plane ticket like you're checking for their ID is like the only thing they're responsible for. Other than that, the coach does everything, practice now, trainer now, strength conditioning, everything is so structured that I, that's another issue that uh, Megan and I are running into with a lot of um, the, the college girls who are coming out now and pursuing professional beach volleyball on the domestic tours. Wait, I have to now hire a coach and I figure out my strength and conditioning and all my own scheduling, my budgeting, all of that kind of stuff. That's just like, there's no, like structure around that or no education until you get in and you just kind of figure it out for yourself. That was one thing that, uh, when I was on the road with, uh, Sarah Sponsor and Kelly Clay's last year, I was talking to them about it. And cause Sarah went from straight from Gulf Shores to, uh, Rio or Itapema. What I think it was the four star in Itapema. And then she was gone for like three and a half months just on the road. And she was like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just sort of winging this thing. And it's not like Kelly had been doing it for a long time either. So she was like, I just had to kind of figure it out on the fly. But that's also another element of what you guys do with beach volleyball consulting too, right? Is you help kind of bridge that gap between NCAA holding their hands and everything to you being like, okay, let us help you figure this out as a professional. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I think there's a lot of shared learning and it's a culture that was very much, um, uh, individualistic and now you have these women coming out of college used to having a team structure and to be an independent is kind of daunting versus you know the older generation were independent and they could figure it out for themselves and you didn't want to trade secrets um now it's you know you need the resources to be able to afford it right now and be a, a sustainable professional athlete 
Um, so you need to have the coaching, the partnerships, the rehab, the, you know, strength and conditioning, health and wellness, everything like that. So. So how does it work exactly? Like if, if I'm an athlete and I need this up, so how does it work? Like I find you guys and then where do we go from there? Yeah, I think it's all very individual. So drop us an email, um, find us on social. Um, and we just sit down and kind of go through like what's working well for you and areas that you want to improve. Everyone's at a different stage. Everyone has different goals, um, access to resources or sponsorship. Um, right now, it's um, I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how to make this happen during COVID um, and weighing up the financial obligations of making a living, being able to come back um, to sport and then maintaining their fitness. So a lot of people are taking time off. Some people are hybriding. Some people are, are still training a lot. So just understanding, I think, where everybody is at for their personal goals. It's, yeah. it's not easy right now. <laughs> <laughs> no. I don't think there's anyone that will have the, the best answer. But I think it's definitely, um, you know, spending time to really look what drives an athlete, their personal goals, um, where they can financially leverage um, some things or how they can make that, uh, sustainable. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that's an aspect that's been missing in, in beach volleyball for so long. Cause I think try, we've mentioned this on a, a couple podcasts. It's like, I want a tournament. Where are the sponsors? You're so, you know? so I feel like any really promising up and coming player, um, you know, especially as we mentioned, the males could like, this is kind of the, the educational aspect that, no one really has any idea about because we don't really, most of us don't have agents in this sport to, which is you guys yeah. kind of bring it to that gap to kind of find yeah. the market yourself. For sure. For sure. And, and learning, like I, I worked with a sports agency last year a little bit to understand what happens in real sports agent relationships, <laughs> um, <laughs> which it doesn't happen in beach volleyball, but like what, what's so beautiful about beach volleyball athletes is you guys are so entrepreneurial. Like you really have figured out so much that most professional athletes never understand or have to manage or deal with. So you guys are highly intelligent, very self-sufficient. Um, you're great brand representation, like naturally. Um, you speak so eloquently. You understand kind of what you stand for. Um, and it's not just the sport of beach volleyball. It's understanding um, how you contribute to your community, your society, um, you know, what your brand identity, I guess, is. I mean, most of you guys have had to figure that out on your own. So it's very easy to work with athletes to enhance and, and kind of consolidate thinking and make that work a little bit better. Um, and just give the confidence like, hey, yeah, you can do this. And this is how you can work with a brand because brands are looking for athletes to be part of their family. Um, I think it's transitioning from, oh, here's my product and my social media to actually advocating for that brand and doing some um, goodwill initiatives. I mean, right now with COVID, a lot of online support or backing mental health or wellness. Um, there's definitely a lot of initiatives out there. Yeah, I feel like uh, we're going to go try. I'll go for it. I'll go after. I feel like um, like necessity begets creativity. And in beach volleyball, you you have to be a good marketer of whatever brand it is that you're trying to promote, whether it's yourself, because I feel like beach volleyball is just like the Instagram sport. It's like beach volleyball, yeah. surfing, climbing, like all spots where you pretty much need sponsors to, to make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, compare us to other sports. Let's, let's just say Chase Budinger, right? He was came from the NBA. 
he didn't give a crap about his social media. Most of us are here scrambling for like a few hundred, a thousand followers. If he would have started then, in in my mind, he'd have a really big following and something that would have translated perfectly to here. But he didn't even think about. It. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to put words in. Jason, <laughs> yeah. From what I understand, it wasn't like a priority. Um, and then when he came out here, now he's trying to build it so he can get those sponsors and whatnot. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's a huge challenge that our sport that you're presented with as an athlete is it's this whole extra thing you have to worry about. And I'm like, I'd love to not worry about it. I'd love to just focus 100% on my sport. But when I look at it in long term, like when I'm done with my career, I'm going to be so grateful for everything that I've learned and all the time I've invested in. You know, I didn't have an agent for a long time. And then I finally, I put in a lot of time and like really wanted to get the right one. And I finally found the guy and I'm just so happy with who I have. And my first thing I said in our meeting was, I don't want you to take the calls and do this and do that and everything. I want to be a part of all of that. I don't care if you're doing it, but I want to be on the calls. I want to learn how it works. Mm -hmm. I want to learn, you know, building the brand and blah, 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 all that stuff. Um, because my first few years, like Travis said, you win a tournament, where's the money? It's like, that's not how it works. You have to understand, like you said earlier, that you're now represent, you're the brand's representation of their product, right? You're like presenting it to the world. So how do you do that? You might want to learn how to do public speaking, right? In case you're on camera like this or on a mic. Um, and there's so many other things that, that you're going to want to learn. But at the end of the day, and a lot of people don't want to do it. But at the end of the day, at the end of the career, you're going to be like, wow, I, I have a lot of skill sets here that, I, that are going to translate perfectly to maybe another company or starting my own thing. Or, um, I mean, I'm already learning that and I'm not even close to retiring. So it's, uh, I think it's huge that you guys are going to be able to help people do that from early on in their careers. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of expedite that by being picked up by John Hyden, who is, yeah. you know, one of the best professionals out there. And he kind of was open to anything and everything. I asked a lot of questions and he taught me, I mean, I was asking him about like, well, how do what's leasing a car? Like, what is, <laughs> I didn't know anything about anything, you know, uh, yeah. how to rent or buy a house or how can I work towards this or save for retirement? Like why? You know? <laughs> I can't believe we don't learn in high school or college. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's the real world and, and that's the stuff that's valuable in the long run. And it is like so valuable to, to learn that stuff. Cause if you look at almost, I mean, every other professional sport that I can think of it, like all of that stuff, most of that stuff is done for you. And so mm-hmm. a lot, that's a lot of the issues that these like NBA guys or um, NFL major league baseball players, they come out of their career, they retire out and then they're like, what do I do now? Like what, how do, how do I even access my retirement? How do I do this? How do I do that? And you're like, each volleyball athletes, you have to learn that along the way else you're, you're going to sink. So Travis, Travis just uh, Tony Robbins book on finance and I'm three fourths the way through it. I'm just loving it. Knowledge is power people. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I've just been gone like full-on reading mode during the quarantine and so i've just been giving out books left and right like delaney's little brother's like all right what book this week and so i just <laughs> dropped a book off <laughs> i love it i love it 
for me, it's like, what book this two months takes me <laughs> all that long to get through one. Yeah. Really for me, it's every it. week. I'm like, I have a new one and I have a new goal. I'm going to read so many pages. And then I read a chapter. I'm like, oh, I want to read this one. Or right. yeah. tune off to another <laughs> podcast thing that has popped up, which has yeah. been super cool. And I think that's a good message for a lot of um, pro athletes right now is there's a lot of companies that are doing a lot of um, free webinars on like building your personal brand um, engaging your followers. I mean, those are things you have to be proactive in your own and responsible for your own career um, and spend time investing them. And it, it does take some time, but I mean, some of the things that you learn really do turn around and benefit you um, in the long run because simply understanding even three unique points why a brand should work with you. It could be something like I'm clean eater, I'm adventurous, uh, I'm a tra- you know travel junkie, whatever they are. Um, starts to to help those brands affiliate with you if you have that strong clear messaging and it's happening all the time casually anyways you're just organizing your thinking um to make it very attractive for brands to engage with you and you want to you want to write your own narrative you don't want others to write it for you because that makes your life so much easier and and when you speak you can just speak honestly because your brand matches perfectly with that and you're not trying to speak to like oh i'm supposed to be this guy you know i'm supposed to act this certain way um, so just understanding that and then putting out the right authentic brand of yourself is is huge just in being happy and enjoying your job and the day-to-day. Absolutely. And, and we're seeing a lot of the bigger athletes do that too. I mean, with uh, the Players' Tribune that Derek Jeter founded, a lot of guys are taken to telling their stories on that instead of you know giving it to someone else in the media. And then, you, then you're losing control of how that's interpreted. Um, and I know that Aaron Rodgers, he's been blasted in stories in newspapers and stuff. And he's like, well, that wasn't what we talked about in the interview at all. So what he, what he's done is he records every interview and puts it up on his own podcast. So if it gets taken out of contact, he's like, gotcha. <laughs> like everyone can hear the interview. So a lot of athletes are, are taking control of their own narrative, either through like Instagram, Twitter, writing their own blogs, which Sarah Sponsel is doing a phenomenal job of doing now. Um, there's a lot of resources out there that it's not super hard if you just take a couple minutes to kind of figure out how to do it. And you don't have to do it like the other players. Like you don't have to come up and make a podcast. Like that's something that like, wow, I didn't think I liked this, but then I started doing the broadcasting. It's like, I kind of enjoy it. I like speaking freely about my sport. I just need someone who can, um, organize my thoughts a little bit. So then I got Travis. (laughs) who could uh make the conversations flow really nicely uh, and know all the facts and ins and outs of the sport so uh, i mean it can happen authentically it doesn't have to be you don't have to do what any other player is doing you can just do something just do something you know build something off the court um and that will be in my experience a, a complete multiplier of whatever you do on the court like I mean, I have the most amazing sponsorship team right now, and I'm super lucky for that. But I don't think that I would have been able to put them all together, definitely not Wilson, if I hadn't been doing this kind of stuff off the court. And I think that's the the key take home there, Try is you have to be active in your own personal brand. Like you can't just sit by and think it's going to happen to you. Um, you have to participate. You have to engage in social media or comment or repost and do these things. And it is work but it is part of your job of building your brand to make your beach volleyball, you know, dreams sustainable as well. 
I'm curious to know what you guys think about the um, NCAA uh, name and likeness campaign that might be coming in the future. I haven't heard much about it. Uh, can you give us a rundown of, of what um, like kind of key takeaways or bullet points? Um, basically, an athlete uh, will be able to use their own name um, to go after or get individual sponsorships. NCAA hasn't really put a lot of framework around it. They've kind of left it up to the individual conferences, as far as I know, to write up their own rules. Um, it's supposed to go into effect January 2021. I haven't seen anything that that's pushed back. Um, but essentially, it's just saying that, like, let's say um, – I don't know, some random kid on a college campus has 10,000 Instagram followers and they're able to go get these sponsorship deals and use their account to, uh, to get some extra income. But an athlete who's got that same number of followers isn't able to do that because it's, it's conflict of whatnot with their sports team. Um, and so I, I think that probably how it's going to shake out is that they can't have any uh, conflicting sponsors like shoes or apparel or, you know, the headline sponsors for an organization like maybe, you know, the banks or I don't know what exactly is going to go into things that they can't touch on. But I think like the smaller restaurants that are around, um, uh, university, I wouldn't be surprised if they start picking up athletes and giving them small, you know, thousand bucks here to come and do a, a showing or sign a couple balls or something like that. But going to be really interesting especially in beach volleyball with it, the individual nature of the sport that potentially those sponsors could carry on into their professional careers um if it's working well and that even works better for those small restaurants let's say a like a lsu pizza yeah. that picks up yeah. um, like claire Kristen, and then sponsors them throughout their now fifth year they graduate out and go on the ADP tour, but they can come back and be the professional athletes that are affiliated with this restaurant. I don't know. I think it's a pretty cool opportunity for these kids that are now just going into, um, to college. Yeah. I, um, like I'm like a capitalist through and through. So I think if you can make money off your own brand and your own work, like that is awesome. But just from what I've seen uh, of the overall ineptitude of the NCAA to do anything, that it's going to be so thorny and hairy. Cause like, say, you know, try as a quarterback at USC and, you know, he can make $50,000 a game by wearing uh, an armband that says brothers burritos or whatever, <laughs> you know, but you know, Meg, you are, uh, and say that, and say that try like you're not actually a very good quarterback. Right. And then Meg, you are the number one defender uh, at LSU. You're uh, Kristen Nuss. Right. But, you know, that pizza joint can only pay you 20 bucks a match. Then the whole thing about equality starts coming into play. And I think that it's uh, it's probably going to cause so much discussion and a lot of heated discussion. But I'm totally in favor of, of athletes being able to make money because, I mean, I've seen athletes making money at the college level. Like I covered AAU basketball for five years. And if you're telling me the basketball college basketball players don't make money, like you're just turning a blind eye to the reality of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I like that it's, they're going to regulate it and it won't be so black market now. Um, Cause it's happening regardless. So the NCAA may as well set some regulations. So it's not as volatile as it has been. The, the one, yeah. The one thing that I am, a little more concerned about is the like the separation of the haves and the have nots in terms of like 
let's say I'm uh, John Cook in Nebraska and I can negotiate with all those little places around, um, around Lincoln. And then I'm offering to a recruit to say, Hey, um, come here. Here's a full scholarship. And I can also guarantee you that you'll get a $30,000 from XYZ. And we'll just slot that for you for your four years that you're here. Um, so I'm curious how that'll work out and how that'll be kind of, uh, I don't know. It's not the, not the simple way of just, Oh, Instagram, little pizza joint, but I don't know. I don't know if we'll run into that in beach volleyball as much as the football and basketball programs. Well, obviously not. (laughs) Right. School has their own personal brands. Like you can't sign with Adidas and then go play at USC. Right. That's what I think that the apparel brands will definitely be off the table. Um, Like a school like USC, LSU, like, I mean, their football programs, which if you sponsor the football team, you sponsor their whole athletic department. I mean, they have almost every category, you know, Mm -hmm. like muscle mount, Coca-Cola, Powerade, I guess that's Coca-Cola, but I mean, we had everything at USC. You're going to, I guess, yeah, you could get a pizza joint sponsorship, which I think is maybe amazing, like 1,000%. I'd support that, but I do see the, that there'd be a lot of issues there, especially with like recruiting, like recruiting using sponsorships would be a, a, such a mess. I think I, I think that's probably where the the biggest thing will come into play is is recruiting because I've seen cases where so right now you, you obviously can't pay athletes right, but I've seen cases where a football school uh, in the SEC had like these big money donors who were saying I will pay you twenty thousand dollars to mow my lawn once a week, right? And like that brings athletes in right, and so and they were, and the they found they ended up like busting the school and the guy was like what it's my lawn I get to pay I think they're doing twenty thousand dollars worth of work and it creates this thorny issue so I think that like I'm all in favor of it but I think that if it drops January 2021 I don't think we'll actually have like a smooth resolution for how to go about it till maybe 26. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting yeah. That one of (laughs) <laughs> straight mowing mowing <laughs> LTF LA 28 pretty well though you know yeah uh, that's going to be interesting how it all impacts at home for the Olympics yeah I'm just so interested just with how the world is going right now just you know with because this is not I, I can't imagine that this will be the last time that we have a, a pandemic type situation till like the 2028 Olympics like what is LA 2028 going to look like? I'm so interested. Like that's eight years from now. And we're seeing what, how big the world's changed in six months. I mean, we're just glad that we took that 2028 bid instead of the 2024 one. That's <laughs> right. And LA yeah. said, we'll take the 28 bid if you guarantee it for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paris has got to be not too stoked. Either, <laughs> <Spence>. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, now I know that, uh, you know, try, you got daddy duty coming up. Um, ladies, I know you have to be running soon ish, but I did want to, uh, to mention that, uh, you guys do are so cool because you're providing opportunities for beach volleyball players to expand their brands and to make money in the process. I think what you do with the blogging and the mentorship program is awesome. If you want to shed a little bit of light uh, on that and how that works. Yeah, go for it, Michelle. Um, I guess in terms of the the pro athlete mentorship program is something we just launched uh, about a month ago. Well, I guess 
going back to when we founded the company a year ago, one of our ideas as beach clubs have grown um, exponentially over the past decade. And now they're all over the country, uh, built for purpose facilities are popping up every year. We've got, I think about three to 400 beach clubs um, across the country, which is very cool. A lot of those um, clubs, they, they don't have access to our pro athletes um, in the same way that, you know, we've all lived or still live in Hermosa Beach. You just walk down to the beach and you can see everyone training there and, you know, stop by and watch and get that experience for the, the kids that are coming up. But for the ones in South Dakota, let's say, like they don't really get that same uh, kind of inspirational pathway pipeline of, of being able to interact with a professional athlete. So our idea was first to bring the athletes um, into run a clinic or camp in front of the ABP events with the idea that uh, athlete comes in, runs a camp, then all the kids could go and cheer on um, their, their pro athlete at the tournament that comes up. And that athlete could get their own little fan club of the local kids from the club. Um, and the kids feel like they're, they're part of something. Um, so as we all know, the ABP is on hold right now. And so we launched our pro athlete mentorship program, which is kind of the same idea, but instead using video conference calls, um, for clubs or even individuals to kind of gain an insight into what it looks like to be a professional beach athlete, what the pathway looks like and, uh, kind of to build that aspiration. Um, Meg, I don't know if you got anything to add there. Yeah, I think it's um, connecting the community. I think they're, you know, from working with a lot of the younger athletes, they couldn't name many other professional athletes outside the historic top few. And it's like, we have so many amazing athletes out there that they could really um, follow along, be part of their story. Again, sharing those pro athlete brands with the kids that are coming up um, for their inspiration, for their motivation to be able to touch them. I think something so unique about beach volleyball athletes is when you go to an event, well, in the past, you could be courtside, you could go up to them after the match. I mean, what other professional event can you be right there in the box nearly with the athletes? I mean, it's such an incredible, um, unique aspect of our sport and the culture of beach volleyball that if we can make that connection happen, especially on the guy's side, I mean, they really, you know, that affinity keeps them involved in the game. Um, so we wanted to keep the circle of life, I guess, going um, and help those that are looking to go to college or that are struggling or that are from out of state like Maryland or Hawaii, how they make it happen, um, which is really inspiring because there's, there's a fit for everybody out there. And I think to add on to that as well, um, for, for the, the growth of professional beach volleyball, I think one thing that is lacking that Megan kind of touched on there is the idea of this like fansmanship that like because all 95% of professional beach athletes live in Hermosa, Manhattan Beach in that South Bay, LA area, it's hard for the rest of the country to connect in with, with the athletes in an intimate way. Like, for example, I mean, I grew up in Santa Cruz. I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, not because I know really anyone on the team, but because that's where I grew up. And so I have this, you know, that's my baseball team. And we don't have that same kind of thing in, in beach volleyball because just most of people live in LA. And so hopefully by building camps and clinics and athletes can start 
in time, um, potentially affiliating with the club that's outside of South Bay and all around the country that those clubs will then, you know, look at that athlete. That'll be like the role model for these kids. And then they'll follow them, their local community, their parents and whatnot, and build the, the athlete's brand um, as well as just a little bit more excitement of like, this is, this is my team or this is my pair that I follow around the country or watch all their matches or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it solves a lot of problems that, that, that this sport has one that you mentioned, Michelle, that there's no like local affiliation to any athletes. Although try, you guys have the entire state of Hawaii rooting for all you outrigger kids, <laughs> but and I think one of the problems that you solve is, is when people are like, well, how do you be a professional beach volleyball player? Like my brothers ask me this all the time. Like, what do people do to like survive as a professional beach volleyball player? And now you're giving uh, everyone the opportunity to like, talk to a Sarah Hughes, a, a Therese Cannon, you know, a, a Tri Born. And, and they're like, how do you do this? How'd you get a partner? You know, where do you train? Where do you live? What do you do? money when you know the tournament prize money isn't rolling in and i think it's it's an awesome opportunity um not only for the athletes to be a mentor but for anyone who wants to take this sport relatively seriously to kind of really learn uh how to do so yeah. i think it also helps on the growth of of coach development too so as all these clubs are popping up across the country which is awesome there's a lot of people coming from indoor dads volunteering that Every time they have access to somebody very knowledgeable in beach, they're learning so much that's making a direct impact on the kids um, because we don't have that apprenticeship kind of shadowing experience to be a, a beach volleyball coach. It's You are now a college beach volleyball coach. You know, all other sports, you, you're you the GA, you volunteer, you're the assistant coach, and then maybe someday you'll be the head coach. Well, it's happening overnight and the, the access to learning how to give feedback, how to pace training, how to manage two athletes, four athletes, six, 10, 20, a whole club. Um, it's all very meaningful for the, the growth and sustainability of the sport. Yeah, it's definitely, it can be valuable from, from every point of view. I think like thinking of it from a professional standpoint is we want to have an impact on people, you know? So for sure, building a fan base for yourself is is super important. Um, and if you can have an impact, like I tried to do some clinics in Hawaii. Um, I've done them a few times. I've found out how difficult it is to put a clinic on um, yourself. Um, but definitely, you. I mean, all the pros want to, they want to give back and they want to have a good impact on this sport. And um, it's just a matter of kind of connecting the dots, I think, which is cool that you guys are, trying to do that and so where can people find you guys uh to get in touch if either they are an athlete who wants to help either like with blogs or be a mentor or if they are uh, an up-and-comer who wants to maybe either join the mentorship program or just see what kind of services you guys offer yeah they can visit us at www.beachvolleyballconsulting.com or you can follow us on social media we're on instagram facebook linkedin twitter um, or you can send us an email at hello at beachvolleyballconsulting.com. And we can't wait to talk to you. Awesome. Well, I'll be sensitive to everyone's time here and let everyone go, but it has been a pleasure volley nerding out. Meg, yeah. we'll have to catch up Thanks, and guys. show you too. Absolutely. Thanks for your time, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, All right, everyone. Thanks. Catch you. Ciao.